So welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the MatchFit Football Podcast. I'm Darren Potts, your host, as always, here on the show. And apologies for you guys watching on video. You're seeing a different backdrop to the usual office backdrop that I'm in. That is thanks to my five-month-and-a-half-old daughter who's decided to sleep in that room. So apologies to you guys who are looking at the bedroom instead of the office background. But that aside, we're joined by a, guest, a very special guest today. He has played in the World Cup for the United States of America. He has played in the Premier League for Watford. He has scored a winning goal in the playoff final for Watford to take them to the Premier League FA Cup semifinals. You name it, he's probably done it. The best players in the world. He's probably played against them at some stage. It is one and only Jay Demerit. Jay, welcome to the show. Hey, Darren. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Delighted to get you here. And, and like where I like to always start is I always like to touch a little bit on our guest journey. Um, for a lot of our listeners, they may be involved in some form of academy football or structured football. Your pathway was a little bit different. So I want you just to touch a little bit on that, but also touch on the characteristics that you felt you needed to succeed in order to become a professional footballer. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, for me, I grew up in, in, in the town of Green Bay, Wisconsin. You know, it, it wasn't the biggest town in the world. We had a nice big football team there, the, the Green Bay Packers. And so kind of sport and community were, was something I grew up in. You know, I wasn't, I didn't grow up in Manchester, so I didn't have a soccer team in my backyard. But I think, you know, having a professional sports team in my backyard really gave me that kind of dream big environment, you know, walking to Lambeau Field on a yearly basis, you know, seeing it in the background of when you drive by it, you know, like that was something that was ingrained in, into who I was as, as a person, but then you grow up in green Bay. It's a small town, blue collar town where everyone works hard. They're genuine people. They care about you. They ask you how you are. Um, you know, and so that's kind of what I grew up in. I was a three sport athlete. Uh, I come from the multi-sport background. I wasn't, uh, an academy program person. I, I, I played basketball in the winters. My dad was the track coach at our high school. Um, and so I ran track in the spring and then played soccer in the fall and the summer. And so, you know, I, I didn't really know how good I was at the time when I was 18, I had uh, two scholarship offers, one to play basketball and one to, uh, one to play soccer. And, you know, and I think it's always important when we talk about developing young people, it's, 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 we all still have to realize that we need to use our brains too, and not just focus on the sport because the majority of the rules say that, you know, you're going to have to do that other thing. And I think we, it's not something to be scared of. I think it's something we should appreciate. And if we get opportunities to go somewhere at 18, 19, whether it's university or a, or an academy or something, or, or even a young professional team, you know, we have to start thinking about other sides of, of that. And, and so my opportunity, why I picked the school I did, I went to Chicago uh, to go to design school because I knew that if I, if I wasn't going to make it as a soccer pro, and again, at the time I was only 18, I hadn't played at a really high level. So I didn't think I was going to ever do what I did, but I saw the opportunity and I was like, well, if I can go to a town like Chicago, which I wanted, I was ready to get out of my small town. You know, I was, I was, I was one of those guys that I wanted to leave. I was ready to go again. I had great parents. I, had, I have an incredible support system around me, but I was ready to leave home. I was ready to go on my own and, and, and see what I could do. And, and there was no bigger place than Chicago for me living in just North of there in Wisconsin. That was the big city I wanted. I wanted, but it also had this design degree because I, I like doing art in school. I like creating things. And they had a design degree. And so based on the other basketball school that had some engineering stuff I wanted to do, I was like, no, I think design is a way. And so that's where I was like, you know, do my school too. And not just, I can go be a pro and then good luck. I'm going to be Wayne Rooney. Like that wasn't part of the mindset for me. It was, it was go and then get an opportunity, continue to get better at the sport. 
get myself in a much bigger arena that has better players and, and a good university system. Cool. And get to go to something to school that I actually want to do. And, and, and so for me, it was those kind of three things that really helped with my decision to, to leave town and get to university. And from that, you know, obviously you went on this crazy journey of you left Chicago, you went to England, you ended up playing for like several teams in England, so a non-league side. And I believe your story was you played against Watford in a friendly and it's really that friendly, that match of playing against Heider Helgeson, and unless I'm mistaken, is really what drew the attention of the scouts and the coaches to you specifically. Yeah, and you know, it's it's those types of games that any kid that wants to make it has to really understand. You know, you you, you don't get many of them, and that's that's always what we talk about with opportunity. And if you're ready to swing that bat when that opportunity comes, you'll have a much better chance of doing it. But you know, for me, I moved to England with purpose. I moved to England because I thought it was a good opportunity for me to be in a concentrated environment that America couldn't provide for me. And in America, I was already chosen or not chosen. You know, I, I, I didn't get picked. I had walk-on opportunities that were really, you know, minimal. And, and so I thought if I'm starting at the bottom of the ring anyway, I might as well do it in a place like England that has 96 professional teams plus 12 other divisions below it maybe I can get there and, 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 and do my thing and, and, and see if I can catch the eye all while still carrying humility and going, I know I'm in the back of the line. I know I'm going to land on English shores and I got to sit in line and, and wait. Cause I know that there's a million kids in England that are already ahead of me. And so that was my mindset going in, but also knowing that I did know myself enough. I had played against enough players that were in the MLS and done well enough where I was like, I've had four years of real soccer experience as a, then I was 22, 23. I'd played university soccer. That's it. And I'd only played in four years. I changed position, but then I became an All-American in just three years. And so I knew where I was going on my trajectory. And this is also where we have to rely on our own self-awareness to figure out what we want to do with our own lives and make our own decisions. And I was aware enough to know that where I was in, in my trajectory as a player, but the people that would have picked me didn't know where I was because I'm not on the sheet from their scouting report that says who are the academy teams from the U17 you know national team or the Chicago Fire Reserves the LA Galaxy Reserves who am I supposed to look at you know I was never on those scouting lists but I knew that and so I knew I had to take it upon myself to create my own story and and so that's what I did and 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 when I got to England again I I had a couple validation games where I played against guys that had just been released from you know QPR from the second division and that was the guy playing up for, up front for the non-league team I was playing for. And just to put it in context, I was playing in the 12th division when I landed on UK shores. I was, uh, I was making 40 pounds in an envelope after the game in cash, which uh, for North Americans, that's about 60, 70 bucks. <laughs> so I, I wasn't exactly making my mom proud after earning a university degree in design, uh, making 60 bucks a week. But uh, you know, I, I also knew that that was part of my story and what I, what I needed to do. And that's all I needed. I, you know, again, I was very fortunate to be living in, uh, you know, rent free at my friend's mom's house in the attic. And again, it wasn't the most glorious attic I've ever seen, but it was certainly something that I appreciated to have a roof over my head. And, and at that state in my life, that's all I wanted. And it's all I needed. And then, I, then the next thing I needed to do was that opportunity and, and, and wait for that. And I knew again, like I knew I'd have to do it the hard way. I knew I'd have to wait for it. And it took me over just over a year. Uh, so I played a whole season of non-league football. And at the end of that season, the whole year. And, and I got, a, I got a third division tryout team called Shrewsbury in the middle of England, not far from Manchester. And I think they were in the third division at the time. 
And I had another trial for Oxford, which was Oxford United, which was kind of in the same division. And so at the end of that season, I was like, man, I, I, I'm jumping six divisions. I'm jumping seven divisions here. And so that was my indicator. That was my validation where I'm, I'm now playing against guys that are in the first and second division and doing well in the games. That's my judgment of whether I feel like I belong there. And then on the other side of that, I am seeing scouts that I don't know that I've never met that are asking me to skip six divisions and go trial for a third division team. For me, those two indicators and my own awareness is yes, yes, keep going. It's not like had six trials over six, never had a look or nobody's ever told you that you can make it in this country. For me, that's over two. And so I'm not, thankfully I had the other side where I was like, okay, well, I know it's kind of shitty and I know it's not that awesome to be sitting and living in an attic making 60 bucks, but I know that I'm seeing my progression. And so I'm validating my experience and, and really going, okay, I've skipped six divisions that, that must be doing pretty well. And then I, and then they try to sign me. I didn't have any, any of my paperwork or anything that I needed. And so I went home for the off season, came back. And that's when I played against Watford in that friendly. Mm-hmm. And so Watford was a first division team. Uh, again, the coach had seen enough. They were as time and, and circumstance would have it. Um, and when we need that too, in our stories. And, and I, and I think, for me, they didn't, they had just come down from the Premier League. So they didn't have as much money as they, as they once had. And they had to play a bunch of players that they were playing Premier League wages. And so they didn't have any money to bring in any players. And they had a bunch of older center backs. And so they didn't need any, and those are bigger money guys, of course. And so they just needed some young buck talent that just was like, they could groom. And, they, and, and, and so they brought me on because I was free. I was, I wasn't to risk because it didn't cost them any money and they could take a chance on someone like me, you know, and, and I was something that they didn't have. And, and I was more of like an athletic, uh, you know, very coachable competitor where it was like, we had a lot of older guys that knew how to read the game. They knew how to, you know, do all the things, but they didn't have the mobility, you know what I mean? So they needed, you know, a center backs that we work in partnerships. And so they needed a partner like me. And, uh, and, and I was free. So, um, thankfully, uh, I got the opportunity and, and made the most of that trial. And, uh, yeah, just in the beginning of that second season, I was, I was a Watford contracted player only making 25,000 pounds though. So I still wasn't, it was just above a minimum wage market as a professional soccer player, but you know, I was doing it for Snickers bars and 10 bucks the week before. So I was, I was elated. <laughs> I can imagine, I can imagine that feeling. And one of the keywords that you've used throughout, you know, that explanation there is the word opportunity. And I want to ask you about the specific opportunity of playing for Watford. And even then, when you signed for Watford and playing alongside, and we'll get into playing alongside, you know, Malky Mackay and Sean Dyche were two of the guys that you played alongside and both went on to have excellent managerial careers as well. But the word opportunity, it really, really caught me because you could go in there with, you know, I wouldn't say a weak mindset, but you could go in there nervous with a bit of trepidation. But you obviously... what? Did you have to have something about you to go in there and say, I'm not missing this opportunity. This isn't bypassing me. I There is a sense of respect, but I'm not going to let you play just because you're who, you're who you are. Like, tell me about that experience of the mental side of someone coming, you know, jumping up that number of leagues. And that's a good question. And, and there's a couple of answers that I, that I always like to talk about in this situation, you know, because I mean, I've talked a lot about validation too. And I think there's ways we do that. And I think, I always drew on when I play against the team. So for instance, let's just talk about the Watford trial. You know, I walk in, I, I've been playing for the reserves for the first week of my trial. And then, so that's the second team. I hadn't really played with the first team yet. And so the coach calls me into his office and he's like, I heard you've been doing well with the reserves. Um, why don't you come to the game tomorrow? We're playing against a team called Real Zaragoza. Spanish La Liga team. They just won the Copa del Rey the, night, the year before. 
And, and, you know, I had never been to a big soccer stadium really before, especially played in a full one. And uh, it was the last preseason friendly, big Spanish league coming into town. You know, the stadium was packed. And so I walked into the stadium thinking I'm going to get like, you know, a warm up with the team where I get to like see the stadium. And uh, yeah, the white, I walked in the locker room on the whiteboard and I was in the starting lineup with 10 of 10 other players that I hadn't even trained with yet. And so these guys were all the pros and they're the number ones. And, on the first team. And so I am, you know, I am crapping my pants and going, what? Like, <laughs> this is crazy. Like, it, so again, my immediate panic response is why did the coach tell me he's a, he's a jerk. Like I'm getting angry at the coach. Like, just tell me whatever, whatever I'm going, am I ready? So I'm fear is starting to creep in. Right. And that's natural. That's what most people will naturally feel. And, uh, and I just, I, I think I was someone that really understood what I was good at and controlling what I can control, you know, and, and I continue to live in that as like the number one motto I live with is like, I think a lot of times we get out of our heads or into our heads too deep and start thinking about things we can't control what you're going to think about, or what, if, what, what, you know, what, the, what the coach is going to think of me or what the center back next to me, he's going to be yelling at me or whatever. And then we start to think about, am I ready? Am I good enough? Am I who is this team? I'm, I'm playing against a team from Spain. Like I've never, you know, that's when the fear starts to come in. And so for me, I always just got back to the control center. It, it's, it's what, what can I control? Uh, I can control my fitness levels. Okay. Well, I've trained my ass off for the last year, getting ready. For, so I'm fit for now. I don't, I don't need to work on my fitness. I'm ready to go out there and compete too. I can control my, my, comp- my competitiveness. I can go out there with no fear and do what I'm good at. And that was disruption. I was, I was a disruptor. I was a competitor. I could, I, I was athletic enough where I could compete with people and make their day difficult. And, and, and so I can control that. I, I can, I can't control the person I'm playing in front of me. I can't control what they're going to play like that day, but I can control how, how hard I compete against him to hopefully affect his first touch, hopefully beat him in the air and give him a little bit less confidence, hopefully give him a work ethic that he's just going to know that I'm always there. I, those are things I can control. Okay, cool. I'll concentrate on that. And then lastly, like, is that, as I even moved into the bigger games, you know, playing in world cups and playing against the Manchester United's of the world, the Ronaldo's, the Messi's, it was always about challenging reputations instead of living by them. Mm-hmm. And, and that was this whole idea of saying I could let that Manchester United badge define me and go, Oh crap. Like I got to play against this team. Oh, that's Ronaldo. Oh my gosh. Like he is really good looking. Wow. He's tall. His, he is really good looking, you know, an athletic and he's going to crush me today because that's Ronaldo where I was always like, I get to be in this tunnel. So the 25,000, 50,000, 70,000 people out there want to be me, seven, one, not right. So take confidence in that, that you get to be that person. Have you ever heard this thing about how people that, that say I have to do things or the people that say I get to do things. It's a totally different mindset as to like what, what you're going to walk into that arena with. And so I always changed to that in that tunnel. I would talk about, I get to play against Ronaldo. I get to go kick that guy and test his reputation. I get to play against in this game. I get to be the person that all the people in that stadium want to be on this day because they're here paying to see me play. And then lastly, taking confidence in the fact that I don't pick myself. Somebody else picks me to play. And so I deserve to be there because somebody, somebody has picked me to, to represent that badge then go out and own that responsibility and, 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 and want it. Don't be scared of it. Don't think that you're not good enough and don't think that you can't because you can in all three of those things, if you choose to walk out with that mentality. And I think for me, it was all those types of things that I had to do in my self-talk before those games 
that allowed me to go out there and perform the way that I, I, I did, or that I, that I, that got me the contracts and got me the jobs and got me in the starting lineup. And it was those types of things that would always in my mentality, as I prepare for those games, I walk out of that tunnel. That's what I'm thinking about. It's interesting that you've said that because one of the questions I love to ask is tell me about how important having that mindset and that strong mindset really is. You know, you've talked about controlling the controllables, the fitness, you know, the nutrition, the competitiveness, but how important is that mindset portion to you doing what you do on a daily basis as a professional player? Well, I think you just said it, you know, mindset isn't practice on game day. You know, mindset is a, is a daily practice. It's, it's a, it's a daily validation of what you think you are and what you actually are. And, and, and I think, you know, it's huge. I think it's, I think mindset, it's, it's at least half the battle. I would say almost more than your skill set, your physical fitness, all that stuff. Because when you get on the playing field at a high level, everyone has that. You can't be a World Cup soccer player if you're not fit. You can't be a, a world-class player if you're not, if you don't have skill sets, like you, that's how you get there. And everyone has them. Right. And so that's when the mindset really starts to, to separate you and, 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 to, and to really give you an advantage if you can if you can get out in the game and, and, and live by that. And, and in the end, that, you know, that, that was one of my better traits as a player. Anyone that watched me play, I wasn't the most tech, tech, technical person. I wasn't beautiful on the ball at all. Um, but, you know, I could do my job from a competitive landscape and really get into the minds of really good players and, and try to make their made my, make their day a little, little bit more difficult. And I think for me, I really focused on the mind a lot. I, I worked a lot with our sports psychologists as I got into pros and they started to have more of a support system for us, asking good questions. And even my managers got more into the mental side of the game, you know, feedback loops. Like, did you play well? Do you think you played well? How can we create a feedback loop? So I know how you played. And then I get validation from that player. Or I get validation from that coach because we've chatted, we had a feedback loop to, so if I think that I played really well and my manager thinks I played like crap, if you don't create that feedback loop, you're never really going to know. You were just going to assume on either side of that ball. And, and that's not the way you get better as a player. You know, you want that feedback loop. You want criticism. You want that because that's how we get into our minds so we can prepare for the next game. Yeah. Phenomenal insight. And one of the things you touched on there was the management loop. And you played under different managers throughout your career. How important is having a relationship with the manager? It doesn't have to be a best friend, best friend type relationship, but how important is understanding what the manager wants? How important is it for the manager to understand what you bring to the team? You know, you mentioned you weren't the most flattering player on the eye, but you would go out and you would battle and you would give 100%. You would run through a brick wall for your team. How important is that understanding between player and manager? I think it's huge. And in, in, in any relationship, communication is key. You know what I mean? If you're not talking about each other, you're not talking to each other. And, you know, again, back to the feedback side, if you're not getting real feedback about what that person thinks, you know, you're never going to get to that glorified relationship that you want. And it is the best managers in the world, the Pep Guardiola's, Jurgen Klopp's, they're, they're the man managers at, at its core. They, they have to manage the player before they can ever create tactics and manage the team. And I think the best managers understand that and they always will be talking to their players. Every one of those guys will have an ear once a week asking about how they are, how they're preparing, how was your week? What do you need? You know, all that kind of stuff. The best managers do that. And that's why their players, you can tell really love playing for them. And that's why they put the spirited performances in consistently all the time is because that feedback loop, that, that natural relational thing is there. And that's why the best teams win because they have that. And, um, you know, I was very fortunate to be a part of some of those teams, you know, our 2009, 2010 
World Cup Confederations Cup squad when we we, we got to the final of the Confederations Cup of 2009, beating Spain, snapping their 35 game win streak, and then winning our group and making it to the to the round of 16 in the World Cup. You know that group really knew each other and appreciated each other, and our manager really got the most out of us as players because he managed us well and he understood which personalities we were and, and, and really allowed us to be ourselves and, and bring our individual personalities to the group. And, and that's, so there's a lot of work in there. There's a lot of man management. There's a lot of communication between us as a group and us between individual and their manager, but it's gotta be there and it's gotta stem there because otherwise we don't really know what we're talking about. We're just, we're just assuming things. It's interesting you brought up, you know, the Confederations Cup, the World Cup, you know, that period of time for the US was unbelievable. You know, you mentioned beating Spain and I think it's important to even mention the David Villas, the Fernando Torres in his prime, Xavi and Iesta, you know, that was probably the Spain side, you know, of all time in, in that period. Brazil in the final, you went to the World Cup, you had England in your group, you were playing for Watford at the time and, you know, obviously playing against probably players you played against in the Premier League, but then doing it on the international stage. And I think, from a fan point of view, and I, I I say this from a fan perspective, as I've never played professional professionally, but I think as a kid, everybody's dream is to play at the World Cup or represent their country. And when you go to do that, is there a, is there an added pressure on you, or is it plainly pride? And when you go into those big games, i.e., England specifically, as I'm assuming the media was going crazy for that one specifically how do you manage that and is that different to the normal game and even in talking in generally about big games FA Cup semi-finals games against Chelsea you always had a great time playing as Didier Drug, but you seem to really relish that um, was there something in terms of the mindset that switched for those big games or was it just business as usual how did you get through those and I've asked you about 16 questions in that response but tell me if, if you can you know on some of those points yeah, you know, I, again, I always wanted some, when the lights are on, that's why we play. You know what I mean? I'm not here to get paid to train. I'm here to play in front of 50,000 people and do my job. Like that for me, I always loved that. And that's what I did it for. I loved when the lights were on because that for me was the whole point. You know, I don't want to be a practice player. I want to perform when it matters. And and, and the best players do. The best players want that. They want that pressure. You know, they're, you know, you, know you, you can't ask Ronaldo if, he, if the game's on the line, who does he want to score the header? <laughs> You'll only say one thing, me. You, you know what I mean? So, you know, you have to kind of have that. And that's just confidence. Yeah. It, that's what breeds that. It's confidence and the ability for you to go out there and do what you think you can do. Because that's why we do it, really, because we think we can. Yes, we, our managers validate that. The people that pick us validate that. Give us the contracts, validate that. But at the end of the day, like, you know, the best players do it because they want to and they want that moment. They want the lights on in front of 50,000. You know, and I was like that. I wanted that because that for me was the whole point of why I was there. And, and and the rest was a bonus but the and then the next was that whole kind of again like testing reputations i loved playing against the best players because if i walked off the field after playing well guess where my confidence went you know what i mean but i also know that those guys were ahead of me there are those guys were world-class players i'm trying to get to but in a way again that's if, if i have a growth mindset and i want to and i want to do that because i try to get better every day and not just get a new contract for myself so i can make more money you know what i mean like that was always secondary to i want to be a better player tomorrow and that's and that's growth mindset and if you're not challenging yourself against the best players you're not putting yourself in those arenas wanting to play against those better teams wanting to play against the guys that are better than you you're never really going to grow that much 
And I always looked at that for my whole career as a challenge. It was like, you know, can I make a team? Challenge one. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm on one. Can I start? Challenge two. Can I be the captain of this team? Challenge three. Uh, you know, I was captain Watford by my third season at, at the at Watford. Okay. Now I'm a captain. Now can I play? Now I'm a leader in my team. And now I, I want to play for my country. I think I can go represent my country at a high level. Okay, do that. But again, I didn't. I wasn't thinking about playing for America when I was landed on English shores and laying in the 12th division. I it wasn't part of my mindset because it shouldn't have been until you get to the point where you've earned that stripe. And I was just really focused on that and, and making sure that each step of the way I'm re-goal setting, you know, making sure that each each step I'm okay. Now I start. Cool. Now can I be a leader on this team? And you know what I mean? Like that, that's a natural progression. I should be able to now focus on that because I'm starting and I'm playing well. You know, why can't I be a leader? You, you know, now why, why can't I bring more of a stamp onto the in, into this team? And so that was just me every every step of the way and, and really refocusing of like, you know, all of a sudden you're beating Spain. And then we all come in with that, hey, maybe we can win our group for the first time. Maybe we can go into a World Cup, you know, but again, we deserve that. And, and, and I guess that's where, again, this whole kind of refocusing this re, you know, validation, but doing it on a, on a level where you're looping that. And so then that can be more valid and you are moving in the right direction. And I think that that focus is like what I call like dreaming big and thinking small. And so like dreaming big, I want to go do those things, but what can I manage now? What, what can I, what's the small version of how I can get there? And so if you're thinking small and, and, and actioning those moments, you're going to move in the right direction. But, you know, make sure that you're, you're picking a, a place, a destination that's not so close. You know, why can't you go, you know, do something much bigger than people think you can? You know what I mean? And so that was always my, my, my mindset going into things like that. And a lot of it would probably come from confidence, as you mentioned, but also the consistency. You know, like you said, you know, you're getting into Watford and you're, you know, playing every week. And then the next step is becoming a key player at Watford. Then the next step is becoming a captain. And the next step is playing for your country. And it's consistency that brings you up through that ladder, so to speak. And in my opinion, watching football, consistency seems to be the hardest thing, in my opinion, for professional players to do. Um, For young players listening to this, what would be your advice to them in terms of the keys to consistent performance? I think that self-awareness piece is huge. I think when, when you know what you're good at and you need to work on because you're looking at who you are as a player with a real focus and a real honest eye, I think that's the first thing. Because if you don't know what you're bad at, you're never going to be good at it. You know, you know what I mean? It, it, won't, it just doesn't work that way. And I think if you don't recognize what you are, you're humble enough in your approach to think that maybe you're not very good at something because all of us are not very good at something. Um. I think that's where it needs to start because you, you can't be the complete player that's going to make it pro because you can do, you got You can't just be good at one thing to make it pro. You got to be good at all, all aspects of the ball. You don't have to be a 10 out of 10. You got to be a 10 out of 10 in two of them, you know, but you can be a seven out of 10 and eight out of 10 at the other, but you got to get to that point. And that takes practice. And that, that takes a lot of awareness. And so I think it starts there. Uh, again, second is the, is the work ethic piece. You know, once you've, got to figure out what you're not very good at or how you can hone skills you are good at. Now you got to get out there and do them. You got to, and you get, you learn those answers by asking questions to the the managerial side, coaches, players, feedback loop, going back to that. And then the other side is actually taking that humble approach saying, okay, I do need to work on these things and then going out and doing that work and, and, and making sure that you do it. And I like to say like, when I do that, that work, 
Um, I like call that dark work, you know, like we do in the dark when no one else is around. You know, I, I, was, I always like making mistakes when no one else was around. And so if I need to work on my left footed diagonal ball, which is one of the things I needed to work on when I made it to the professional scene, my long balls across my big switches weren't big enough and, and, and weren't good enough. And I was kicking them out of play and doing all these things. And I knew I needed to work on that. And so I just pick a player and stay after training and start, you know, hit 20 balls every day. That's it. But by three games later, I'm hitting that with my left foot and it's coming off. And I just know, cause I've put in 500 reps and knowing that I didn't want to play that ball three weeks ago, but now I do because that confidence has been built and now I hit it in a game and now I go back to that validation piece. Yeah, cool. I can do it now. Okay. Confidence. Cool. Now I'm back in the game. Now I'll do that again next week. Cause now I got to be consistent to your point. And so, yeah, it's the practice. The practice is what makes that consistency happen. But that awareness piece is huge because you got to know where you're going. I love that answer. You know, it's almost, you know, indirectly practice makes perfect, but it's that awareness of knowing where you're at, knowing where you want to get to and knowing how to get there. And it's the repetition, especially in terms of football, of just repetition, muscle memory, and all kind of follows and, and builds in. I think that's absolutely phenomenal. A couple of quick fire questions for you, for our listeners as well. Um, what would be your traditional pre-match meal? Uh, beans on toast with avocado and bacon. I have to ask this. Was that be when you're on 40 pounds a week? Because beans on toast seems like a 40 pounds a week meal. And then you've just kind of consistently kept it as you went on. Yeah, added more garment <laughs> as I went on. You know, once I could afford a, a real fresh organic avocado, that's when I threw that on there. So they got generally more nutritious as they went. But yeah, you can, you can have beans on toast like a multi-grain toast for like four bucks a week. <laughs> oh, phenomenal. Which I had about 25 to spend. So that was, uh, that was more than enough for my food budget in year one. Plus spaghetti, uh, that kind of thing. Like a lot of carbo load stuff, you know, one packet of noodles and, and some boiling water and some tomato sauce will get you a long way. What about atmosphere in the changing room? How important was that? It's huge. And, 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 and I believe that's a locker room thing. You know, you can have a good leader in there, but you know, if the players don't participate in the group, you know, again, it's just a guy leading by himself. And, and, and I think that locker room, you know, that's, that's where teams win. It, it's locker room vibe. It's guys that get along. It's guys that want to fight for each other for 90 minutes. You know, it's not guys that want to fight each other. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? And so I think having that locker room vibe is, is hugely important. What I've been able to switch off. Was there anything that you did whenever you were playing specifically that helped you switch off and maybe even mentally just turn it down from football? Yeah, no, I was a big hobby person. You know, I'm a big believer and I say this in all of our programs, you don't have anything else to do. Eventually you'll, you'll need it. And, and then you're going to be really disappointed uh, because you don't have it. And, and, I was, I was, I was an art student. So I was a big design guy. I'd go to the museums, the art shows, the, the music shows, I was like that side of life. Uh, I was a really social guy. Um, you know, again, that's kind of why as I moved into leadership roles, I always made it once a month, we had a team day out, night out, whatever it was, because that's also that social scene where guys really start to come out of their shells. If all I do is train with you, I know who you are as a player and I can maybe talk to you after the game or I can put my arm around you after training, see how you are, but I don't really know you. You know what I mean? And I can tell I see you socially until we all go out and, and, and we all get to show our true colors and show who we are, you know, I, you're not really getting to that. And I can't manage somebody that I don't know. You, you know what I mean? And so for me, it was always about that social side of getting to know your players. You do, you have to get, you have to get out there. You got to see them in the real life. And, 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 and uh, so I, I always found that important to a, to a locker room. And uh, yeah. And then the, the last part of it is, is just 
that communication piece, you know, again, making sure that we're all talking to each other, we're being honest with each other, because I'm just telling you what you want to hear. I'm not really getting that real communication, you know, that I want, you know, I'm just, you know, telling you what you want to hear. And, and, and that's not going to get the real growth that we want to get as a collective. If I'm not challenging you to be something that either you don't know, or I'm making you aware of something that maybe you don't know, or you're not taking that with real humility and saying, okay, I could apply that, or I can try that to maybe you are right, or maybe we can agree on this. And I agree with you. So let's, let's go out there and do it together. You know, but until we get to that moment where we can grow together, then we're not going to really get there. And that's team performance and say that for the same uh, as individuals do. Phenomenal insight. Um, tell me a little bit about injury prevention, a couple of tips for injury prevention. Stay hydrated. I think uh, we don't drink enough water as a 90 minute athlete, We're not even close. And I think our, our bodies get dehydrated way more than we think. And I think hydration was key a lot. Uh, I learned a lot about that. You know, when you play internationally and you're, you're flying 12 hours in one way, and then you kind of play a game and fly back and you got to play with your club the next day. And like, you're playing three games in three hemispheres in 12 days. It's like, you got to learn about the science of the body. Uh, really looking, looking into what drives the body is, is, is unique. I think that's one thing. Uh, and then that now leads into recovery. You know, how do you recover from games? You know, I think a lot of times we burn ourselves out too. We always talk about like, how do you heal from kicks or injuries or, you know, playing three games in five days? Like that's, you know, part of it. But then it's also like, are we going too hard? Have I, I've trained seven days because I'm trying to be messy and I've overtrained myself. So my Tuesday game, I play like crap because I've trained myself seven days in a row. You know what I mean? Like, cause I'm trying to like burn myself out or I'm being too obsessed. Like, I don't really like the obsession word. I, I think being obsessed with something isn't going to get you where you want to go. You're going to burn yourself out. Yes. You have to think about it all the time. Yes. You have to be mindful of, of, of what some people might consider an obsession, but I say you got to put the ball away, go to the art show on Tuesday night. And then you're going to show up on Wednesday and train harder. Cause you put your mind out of the park for a second. You know what I mean? I think that whole obsession focus piece, I think is a little bit too much in my opinion and in my experience, you know, when I could put the ball away and that's, that was always the metaphor I used. Like guys, make sure you put the ball away this week, you know, hang out with your son, go to the family dinner. You know what I mean? Do it. Go to the museum with your girlfriend, like do it, play the video game with your buddy, like do it. Like, you know, that's, that's going to put your mind in a place. So when you come back to that field, not only are you going to appreciate that field a little bit more, but you're actually going to want to be there because you're not burned out. I echo that completely because I think it's so, so important, especially now, you know, as it's grown the last number of years, social media, the accessibility of, of people to negativity and to comments and to seeing things and to things that can pull them down and pull them into a dark space. I think it's incredibly important to have that switch off and to have that place you can go or that couple of things that you can do where you're just mentally refreshed when you come back to the pitch the next day. I echo those entirely. And for any young people listening to this, that's what I would also, I would echo those thoughts that Jay has just brought that you need to have something to shift your focus. You cannot, you know, just live in this virtual world and this world of football and online world, especially as the, the quality and the content of football in itself just continues to rise. You know, it's, it's certainly a notion that you can get lost in. Um, one final question for you before we move into our closers. Um, role models and mentorship. Is there anyone that stuck out for you in your career um, as a role model and as a mentor? And how important is that for you and for young players? Oh, it's hugely important. I, you know, I, I also like to call that support. You know, I think mentorship is support. Um, and I think support 
comes from a lot of different angles. You know, that can come from, for me, it was my parents, my family, my support system. Um, again, I was very fortunate to have good parents, good teachers, good coaches, you know, people that I could learn from. And, and, and both my parents were coaches and teachers. And so I was always in an educator environment where we ask questions, you know, how was it out there? You know, what'd you like about it? what did you not? And then, cause that's what my parents did as teachers. And so like, I kind of was, again, very fortunate to be around that environment. So by the time I grew up and started to make my own decisions, I, I had a good support system I could rely on. Um, I, so I think for me, it was my parents for one, number one, for sure. Um, and then I, I think that other side of support is asking for it. You know, if you don't have parents that support you or your dad doesn't want to drop you off at training, but you want to go with your best buddy because his dad's awesome and he loves dropping us off and standing there and doing the thing. Cool. Like hang out with that kid more and get him to do that because that helps you. It serves you. It, it, it's, it's something that I think, again, we can find our own support. We shouldn't just wait for it. And I think that's one of the misconceptions about common misconceptions about where we are, what we need as players, you know, and I think, you know, a lot of players, they don't look for support because they, they don't get it like in their close circle. But if you look for it and that's again, go, going to the school mentorship program, you know, being a part of big buddies or like, you know, mentorship programs, you, you know, like high school programs. If you're a younger kid, like, you know, ask, you know, set it up. Ask the kid after training, you know, hey, Kate, can you know, like, can I ask you some questions? I'm just trying to learn as like a young pro or a young player. You know, what do you, what do you, I see you've, your, your first team all conference this year. Like, I really want to, I really want to work to be that. Like, is there any way you can help or, or just tell me what you're doing for training? Like, again, these are simple things. That high school senior is going to be like, sure, dude, no problem. You know what I mean? This is what I do. Maybe we, maybe we can train after training someday. You know what I mean? Like, y'all come show you what to do. Like you'd be surprised amount of older people, the people that are ahead of you, these mentors, you know, again, I believe mentorship's ageless too. You know, I believe that my six-year-old mentors me as much as I mentor him sometimes because he teaches me things that I don't see. And, 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 and I think that's a vice versa relationship, but you have to ask for it. And if you don't have it naturally, like I did, you got to go find it. And that's coaches. That's again, asking people, asking your friend group. I think going back to what we were just talking about too, you know, do you have people in your support system that aren't like you, you know, like if I've, if I'm a kid and I play for my Academy team and all I hang out with is just kids that look like me and are like me and wear the same jacket as me, am I really getting the, what I need to do for my own development? You know, like I always say, like, look, hang out with people that don't look like you hang out with people that are not from where you're from, hang out with people that wear a different jacket. than You You know what I mean? Like, that's why I always like, cause that's where we really learn about how we challenge each other, how we, how we can get the most out of us. And, and how we really learn who we are, because that's going to be the real driver in the end. Absolutely. Absolutely agree with that. It's interesting you made that point, you know, about just asking someone, you know, to stay a little bit behind or whatever. You know, there's a young player at Liverpool right now called Connor Bradley and Connor um, is now in the Northern Ireland setup national team. But he's very much a reserve at Liverpool. But he's been on record of saying that he asked Mo Salah to stay behind with him after training and to take him on on one-on-ones. And Connor's a 19-year-old right back. And Mo Salah is now his official mentor at the club, doing gym work with him. And just from a simple request, hey, you're really good. Can you stay behind training and take me on one-on-one for 20 minutes a day? And there Mm -hmm. we go. And there's a a friendship blossoming, a mentorship blossoming. And I think it's really proof of putting, you know, of some of the thoughts that you've just echoed there and thoughts that you've just said. So I think it's a really good live example of something right now in the Premier League that we can point to, which backs up everything that you've just said. Um, last question for you before we begin to wrap this up. If you could offer one piece of advice 
if I was to put an 18-year-old kid down in front of you and he said, I'm about to go pro, sign my first pro contract, get, tell me something that will help me. What would you tell that person? I mean, I go back to the pillars of what we do at Rise and Shine, and 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 that's uh, these are the things in order, you know, that all kids need to do to find their paths. And this is what we teach for our teenage programs: is 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 first, it's uh, and, and these are these are in order. These are the pillars that we work from. And and the first thing is belief. You know, if you don't believe it, you won't do it. Yeah, to be honest, if it's a big dream, especially like you got to go through a lot of things to get there. And if you don't believe that you can, if you haven't created a belief system that you, this is what you want and this is what you are and you don't believe you will, you probably won't. And and, and so it starts with belief. You got to believe in what you do and believe that you can. And, and, and then from there, it's it's respect because, uh, you know, if you don't respect yourself, if you don't respect the person across from you or you don't respect the environment, the room you're in, the place you're in, the, 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 the establishment that you're living under, if you don't get those three things right and respect them, then again, you probably won't be able to go through the doors that you need to, to be successful. Um, and, and so, uh, yeah, so first is belief, then it's respect. The last, the next one is, is work ethic. This is this ability to get out of bed when you don't want to, you know, we can all work hard. We can all do the extra sprint at the end of that Tuesday training session and think that we're working hard. But work ethic is different. Work ethic is doing it. When you look outside, you got to go run 14 miles and it's, pissing down rain and you don't want to do it because you're tired work ethic gets you out of bed work ethic gets you out there and doing it and 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 if you're not working if you're not getting up and doing it when you don't want to the ones that are, are will pass you those are the ones that will get the contracts those are the ones that will make teams and those are the ones that will get the jersey and if you're not working through that and, and getting up every day and working through it with work ethic you know you probably won't get there in the end and, and then the last thing is when you're doing the work and you're putting in all that effort, what happens is adversity. You're going to get injured. Your mom might get sick. Your friend might die in a car accident. You might have a mental health issue. Adversity will happen, and it's guaranteed for all of us in any situation we're in. We're going to have adversity in our lives. And if we don't expect that, if we don't, if we don't, we're not working towards adversity, we're understanding that it can happen. And what happens when adversity happens, the way we get through that, the way we punch through those walls is with positivity. And so that's the last piece is that, you know, you can believe in yourself, you can respect everyone around you and get to the environments, you can work hard, you can get in there every day and get to those environments. But in that adversity piece, it's that positive side that's going to get you through it to get you on the other side and look back and go, oh, I had to work hard through that. I had to stay positive throughout that. I had to take that punch because now I'm back up and I can see that that helped me grow to be the player that I am now. And I think that positive positivity piece isn't called upon enough. We got to tell people to be tougher instead of saying, well, what could you take out of that situation? What did you like about that situation? Oh, you didn't make the team. Well, what's the positive of that? You have more time to spend with your friends so you can grow your own personality. So next time you can be on a better team, maybe but that's something I can look at positively and go, yeah, maybe that, that, that could work. Or you know what? Maybe I didn't train hard enough on that right foot. And on the 92nd minute, if I was scored that right footer and wrapped it around the keeper, I would maybe make that team. Maybe I should, maybe I should go work on that tomorrow. I'm going to go work on that, that bender around the corner. Cause I think that was my mistake because I'm humble enough to know it and think it and actually believe it. That's being positive. That's taking the positive out of a negative situation. And, and I think that that is, is very under called upon in people's journeys. And, they, they, you know, we're not looking for negatives. We're expecting them. But when they happen, 
you can take positives out of them and, and really grow from them. And so, you know, that for, for me is, is, is the best advice I always give to young kids. And it's, it, it's all those things in order, uh, but it's four, it's four things. It's four words. It's absolutely outstanding. Outstanding advice for any young person. Outstanding advice for any person in life, actually, you know, and, and I, we gear this towards young people. So I say young people, but that advice is phenomenal across the board at any level, at any age, no matter what you're doing, that is applicable. And I think it's phenomenal advice. And just as we, as we close this, I want to just give a shout out to yourself. Obviously you're on Instagram. I encourage all of our listeners to look you up, find you, to see what you're up to, Rise and Shine. It's on there. It's on Instagram. It's it's booming. There's lots of crazy stuff, fun stuff happening. Um, and also something that I don't think is talked about enough is you have a phenomenal documentary on YouTube chronicling your entire career in depth from the non-league to the Premier League to the World Cup to MLS playoff final scoring a golden playoff your family coming over. It's all in there. And I echo and I advise any of our listeners Get on that. Watch that documentary. It is an hour and a half of phenomenal, phenomenal content. And Jay, you've had a great career. This has been a great conversation. I encourage all of our listeners to find you on social media, follow you, see what's going on. And I just want to thank you so much for your time today on the Match Fit Football Podcast. Oh, it's my, my pleasure. You know, that when that movie was produced by thousands of people I've never met on Kickstarter back in 2011 after the World Cup, you know, this was a Kickstarter project. $223,000 was raised on my behalf to share that story. You, you know what I mean? I didn't make the money, but I, it was uh, thousands of people I never met were donating their hard-earned money so that I could tell my story. And so that's what I do now. You know, it's very much my purpose. Rise and Shine is a, you know, of course, it started as a documentary film paid for by the public. Um, but now it's a, it's a charity. It's a music festival. It's a youth program. It's an upcoming uh, youth youth app that's going to help gamify learning for young people uh, with our with our founding partner, EA Sports. So the biggest video game company in the world. We're making a, a learning video game based on the Rise and Shine program, based on the Rise and Shine mindset and the mentors we bring in through our program. And so, you know, for me, it's my purpose. It's, it's, it's truly who I am. Um, and, and it's really always just a privilege. You know, I, I say yes. Uh, to any time I can share it because that's my job. It's it, it's truly who I am, and and if if people can take my my experiences, both good, bad, ugly, you know, I've had I've, I've I have all those experiences, and uh, you know, and and help them, uh, you know, create their own experiences. You know, again, that's that's what this is all about. So again, I thanks for for having me on, and and, and I always appreciate telling my story. Been our absolute pleasure to have you here, Jay. And I know our listeners will really enjoy that. Guys, this was Jay Demerit. I was Darren Potts. This was the Matchfit Football Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the show.